Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. And trust me, there's a lot of it. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we're experts on teens. Yes, that's actually a thing. We've worked as college admission officers, prep school administrators, and have coached and mentored thousands of teens in our lifetimes. When it comes to teens, we've seen it all. Teens can be wild and wonderful all at once, but they can also frustrate the hell out of you. The good news is that we speak teen. So join us every week as we drop knowledge and interview teens and other experts to help you gain valuable insight into your teenager's world. Because parenting is hard AF, but we've got your back. Okay, so hi everyone. I'm super excited. We're back today with another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. I'm here with Meredith my co-host, and today we have a super amazing special guest, and she's really about to hit the big time, so I can say I knew Justine Fonte back in the day. <laughs> when I was nobody. <laughs> when you were just like, you know, a normal person like us who worked in schools and did some educating of teenagers, you know. She's and now on the move. Yeah, she's, she's doing big things. She's doing big things. Trust me when I say that you are going to hear her name over and over again. Um, so I'm going to just quick background on Justine. So Justine and I actually met at a conference many years ago. We randomly ended up at a table together at lunch. Do you remember this, Justine? Yes. But I don't know Florida. if it was random. I think I was trying to hang out with Jackie. Oh, that might have been. You were trying. That's right. You were trying to hang out with one of my coworkers. And yeah. I happened to be at the table and I was like, how do you, what is the connection? She's like, I'm a Menlo grad. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Tell me about what you do. And she told me all about her background as sex educator. And I was like, we so need you at Menlo. OMG, please come talk to us. And from there we became friends because I just kept calling you. (laughs) Well, mainly because you were going to pay me money to be there and hang out. So I said yes. And then friendship ensued. Exactly. It's so all good friendships are predicated on (laughs) money transaction (laughs) on food and money. I was like, for sure, your time, I will take you out to lunch, but answer all my questions I have about starting a sex ed program at Menlo. So anyway, that's how I know Justine. And thanks to her, we actually created a pretty robust program at Menlo, had her speak there a few times. And I default became the sex educator at Menlo. So Mm. this topic is near and dear, I think, to all of our hearts. Meredith, you can speak for yourself. Yeah, I have taught sex ed, sexual health, relationship health to children for too many years. Many years. And it's one of those topics that is super important. So important. And I think parents are often at a loss Mm-hmm. At how to have these conversations. And I think every parent that I've ever talked to knows it's important. They just don't know, like, what am I supposed to do about it? So that's why we have Justine here today, because we wanted to bring an expert uh, on the podcast. And so I'll just tell you a little bit really quickly about her education. She has a master's in education from University of Hawaii. So fun. And so what a great place to get a master's degree. Uh, and she also has a master's in public health, in sexuality from Columbia, and also she was a Division One NC2A women's tennis team captain at UC San Diego, which is your alma mater, right, Justine? Yeah. And you also have a Instagram page called, it's called Goodbyes, right? Yeah. And I follow it. It's awesome. I she- follow it. It's <laughs> amazing. 
Yeah, if you if you need help setting boundaries or ending a friendship or you're dating and you don't know how to have that like awkward like, you know what, we had a date and I'm not really that into you. Conversation, follow goodbyes on Instagram because Justine's going to give you lots of great fodder. I think Meredith just used it recently. <laughs> Literally this morning, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Literally this morning. Really okay. helping me out, Justine. Thank you. Happy, happy to help. Yeah. She not only helps teenagers navigate their romantic relationships, she helps adults as well. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So we've got a bunch of questions for you today. And Meredith, you want to start? I've been talking a lot. So I'm going to let you start, start us off. How about that? Done. I'm starting. Um, so excited to have you. Thank you for making time for us. So one of the things that I wanted to ask when we, Kathy and I were talking about what to talk to you about is I immediately was like, okay, what do parents not know about, you know, sort of sex and their child or talking to their kid about sex that they should know. But what I really want to ask you is also, you know, what do parents not know or not want to know about sex, sexual health, all of what sort of that encompasses that you think are really, you know, really high notes that need to be hit with their children? Um, you've seen euphoria. I think it's based on true stories. <laughs> I think That's so scary. many. Mm -hmm. I think so many parents, uh, you know, like, or adults watch these shows and be like, this is drama. Well, this is entertaining. And I go, that's my Tuesday. Yeah. And so I think um, it's, uh, it's helpful that there are so many shows that are now depicting like real teenager experiences mm -hmm. um, and adults are watching it and being entertained by it, but they're just not getting that literacy aspect in seeing like, this is exactly what fortifies the very work I do. You think this is too advanced. You think it's not age appropriate. You don't think this is happening or it's not something you did when you're in high school. Times are different. 2022 has presented so many other things because of social media, because the access of mainstream porn. And it's the reason why I think what I do when I'm with actual young people is um, uh, so relevant to them and why they're so engaged because they haven't really had an adult that sees them for who they actually are and what they're experiencing. They're used to being talked down to, being patronized or being a victim of ageism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm talking to them along the lines of the exact experience that they're, they're getting um, mm -hmm. outside of a school space. So, I mean, there's a lot that I think parents um, aren't, you know, seeing as, as relevant now, because it's more about what they're comfortable talking about, which is not a lot when it comes to sex. Mm -hmm. And therefore they, they just assume my kid's going to be fine, or this isn't relevant to them, or they're too young for this. I'll tell them when they're older. So, I mean, I think mainstream porn is one um, and then I think too, the amount of um, sexual exploration that's going on, you know, online via, you know, porn, but also how they're communicating with their own peers or people mm -hmm. they have crushes on. Um, those conversations are really happening. And yeah, your seventh grader is sending like partial nudes, if not nudes. Like, and this is why we need to be talking about it, not in seventh grade, but even earlier so that when inevitably the stuff happening happens to their peers, this isn't, you know, a surprise to them around their safety. I love that because I feel like one of the key messages I heard, one of the threads that actually we talk a lot about it in this podcast is sort of this not displacing your own personal experience and of one onto your child 
whatever the topic is, right? So if you have a certain kind of sexual history or relationship history, or in, you know, other contexts that we're talking about, it's like, you know, your journey through the college process, right? Like your experience is just that your experience. And to kind of like what I'm hearing you say is, you know, widen the aperture parents, because if you don't think it's happening and you don't think these conversations are happening between your children and their friends, like they are, and they're happening younger than you think would you want to think imagine or want to think. Yeah. 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 Right. So it actually dovetails nicely into our next question is so for the parents, because I have, I have a lot of friends with young kids and, you know, middle school kids and high school kids. So I've got, I've got, I'm at the age now where I've got friends with kids in all age ranges. And some of them, like when we have conversations, when they find out I've taught sex ed, they're like, OMG, how do I have this conversation about this, that, and the other thing? And, you know, I'm always like, and it, I don't have to tell you this, Justine, but, you know, start as early as possible and normalize it and just make it not a big deal. And that, that way you can, you can always have that conversation or that door open, right, to talk about sex and our bodies and pleasure and Meredith, you know, we were talking about this earlier intimacy. And so what if you haven't done that, right? What if you haven't done that? Cause you're like, it's not age appropriate. I don't know how to bring up this conversation. So I'm trying to avoid it until it's like puberty, right? Like, and even then it's just really about how your bodies are changing. I still haven't talked about sex. So how do you, what advice do you give to parents who haven't really started that conversation and find it really uncomfortable and awkward. How do they start? Um, The first thing I would say is that if you have, if you have anxiety around this, the more you procrastinate or postpone, the harder it's even going to be whenever you finally broach it. And I don't want that time to be when something horrible has happened where you now have to, or Mm -hmm. else, you know, someone's, you know, really harmed. And so when you talk about these things, you really want to center it around three main ideas, their safety, them being affirmed by their identities and their joy. And this really works in any grade. Like this is something that I wish upon anyone from the womb to the tomb when it comes to understanding their sexuality, that you want to be physically and emotionally safe. You want your identities and who you are to be affirmed. And you want to experience actual joy and fulfillment and pleasure. That could be a friendship. That could be a romantic relationship. Whatever it is, these three things need to be present. And if you can be a critical consumer, critical person, it allows you to really experience a lot more um, sexually healthy lives. Um, And so I think that's really like the angle you want to go at. So whatever it is you're bringing up, whether it's something that happened at school, whether it's a commercial you watch together, whether it's an incident in current events, the conversation with you have you have with your kids centers on those three things. And if you're really, you know, trying to address something personal about um, them to them directly, that can be a really intimidating and threatening thing for a child. So instead, talk about a commercial, a character in mm-hmm. a TV show, um, you know, w- whatever books they're reading or something. Politicize the outside world and use that as your sex ed curriculum. When you get them to start talking about sexuality topics that seem sensitive, that have nothing to do with their own experience, it starts to open that door to just feeling like saying these words 
is commonplace mm-hmm. and more comfortable. So that when it becomes like, oh, well, what about you? It's not the first time they're hearing these words about romance and love or consent or birth control or gender identity, because you've already been talking about celebrities who are experiencing some of these things or current events as to when something happened or something you saw in a commercial together, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a really easy way to make a lot of everyday moments, teachable sex ed moments by mm-hmm. making it impersonal so that when it ta- comes time to become personal, it's um it's a lot easier and not really waiting until you're prepared for having this one 100 minute talk. Mm-hmm. Think about 100 one minute talks. This is an ongoing conversation and that's mm-hmm. how you can normalize it and make it really easier to, to talk about with your child. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we always hear about like, oh, I have to have the talk. Right. <laughs> As if it's a one and done you right. know, situation. Well, I think a lot of parents actually do feel that way, right? Like, oh, I, I check. <laughs> we talked about it. We talked about how babies are made and how you have to be responsible <laughs> and how you have to ask for consent. And therefore, we checked all the boxes. Now we don't have to talk about it anymore. And I can yeah. go back to pretending like sex is not part of your life. Right. I mean, if you think about it, just like a, if you kind of take it out of the the realm of sexual, like of the context, and you just think about how do people learn, you know, how do people learn, right? We learn through reinforcement over time in gradually in, in graduated steps, right? So if you think of how a small child learns to communicate and how that communication over time becomes more sophisticated, it's through the reinforcement of the environment. So you know, just sort of how do we normalize this stuff and as your child matures and develops, so too can the conversation, you know, that the abstraction that you have, you know, like obviously how you talk about this with a four-year-old is going to be, you know, and their body is different than a 18-year-old, right? Um, but the key is to what I'm hearing you say is to do it from the jump regularly mm-hmm. and often. And I love that instead of one 100 minute conversation, a hundred one minute conversations, it's like. I think that could be said about so many things like substance use or mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, you mentioned this earlier, and I think the three of us know the answer to the first question, which is, is your child watching pornography? I think we know the answer to that, but, you know, tell the people the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's the case, sort of what should parents consider when they're talking to their child or they realize they learn that their child is watching pornography or they imagine that they will at some point, you know, how how should parents sort of think about that topic and talk to their children about it? Yeah. I mean, this, this research is showing that as young as eight to 11 years old, kids are watching porn if they have access to a smart device. And it doesn't mean that they were proactively searching for it and found it. It's a pop-up. It's typing in whitehouse.com instead of whitehouse.gov, right? It's, right. Um, you know, a friend shoving an iPad in their face. Oh my God, look at look these at this. things. Yeah. Right? right. So they're exposed to it. If you're giving them a smart device, it doesn't matter how many parental controls you're putting on there. Um, something as aggressive as the mainstream porn industry is going to do what it takes to get early consumers because what these young kids are going to be looking at are so extremely different than what they would normally see that of course it becomes something they want to look at because Mm -hmm. people aren't talking to them about these body parts and they don't get to see these body parts. So it makes sense that it's something they'll gravitate towards once it's, you know, comes across their eyes. Now, when this happens or ideally before this happens, you're still always talking about safety, affirmation, and joy. 
So whether it's a, you know, conversation before it might happen, Hey, you might come across something on, or now that I've gotten, you know, bought you an iPad for your very own, right. I'm going to put parental controls on it, but you might end up seeing something that you're not prepared to see. And if you start seeing these naked bodies, know that I want you to be aware that your body isn't going to look like that because you're only eight years old. There's nothing wrong with your body. If it doesn't look like what you're seeing on the screen, right? And if you end up looking at it and feeling curious, I don't want you to feel bad about being curious. I want you to be a curious human being. Mm -hmm. Just know that the bodies you're seeing are adult bodies and your body's not supposed to look like that anytime soon. And it may not even look like that when you're an adult. And so that's okay. But what you're watching is really meant for other adults and it's meant to entertain other adults, not to teach adults what to do or what their bodies need to change to be like. And if you don't feel good about the things that you're seeing, then that's something that you know you need to turn off and not watch again because it's not affirming to who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't make you feel good, it's probably not bringing you joy. Now, if you're talking to this to a kid who's already seen it, they're seventh grade and they're like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mom, this is bringing me a lot of joy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, for sure. Got it. But does it give you safety and does it give you affirmation? So are you actually learning safer sex practices that way? What have you learned about how to treat somebody else? Are they giving you examples of how people are treated as human beings and equals? Or does it tend to show people who are, you know, in femme bodies that they aren't worth as much as maybe men bodies, right? Or um, looking at the different races, like the way your race is being depicted on there. I don't want you to believe that that's who you actually are, how people, um, you know, are supposed to see you. So that's not also going to be safe or affirming to you. All three things need to be present, not just joy, mm -hmm. not just affirmation, all three, the safety component needs to be there too. So that's like the conversation when your kids already seen it and they're trying to argue why it's fine because it does provide them with joy. Great. I'm glad that you are experiencing what your body's ability to feel pleasure is like. Also, don't settle for being with a real life human being that can't give you that same pleasure. Because especially when we're talking the way we raise girls, mm -hmm. we tell them all the time, right? No, no, no. Like sexuality in you is not something that can be. And female, you know, sexuality and pleasure is like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense why our high school girls feel like they have to serve, mm -hmm. you know, whoever they're with, as opposed to actually experience pleasure themselves. So if you have an eighth grade mm -hmm. girl who's saying like, I experience a lot of joy watching porn. Great. You have explored your body. I want you to figure out how to do that in federally legal ways. Explore <laughs> your body with, you know, being creative with your own, um, you know, your own um, attributes like your hands. Right. And understand what that feels like. And when you are in a real relationship with someone in person, don't settle for someone that can't give you that same pleasure that you can provide for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all of these things, I think, are ones parents just don't even want to talk about because it's mm -hmm. so taboo. It was never talked about to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're afraid that even if they want to be sex positive, that might come off as punitive and shameful. And so hopefully that language around safety, affirmation and joy um, allows them to just recenter and say, here's what I want for you. And I don't think what you would see in mainstream porn is going to be in service of that. And I certainly don't want you to be afraid of sex. I don't want you to fear it. 
And I don't want you to feel that that's what your body is worth because it looks like something you're seeing on the screen or it doesn't match what you're seeing on the Mm -hmm. screen. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to be able to, um, you know, explore yourself in a way that's truly safe, affirming and joyous and not um, through this, um, this, uh, this tool that's not meant for even someone your age um, and isn't, isn't uh, really having your best interest in mind. You know, it's, it makes me think of, um, there's a lot of research to support this with adolescents. And I, and I, you know, when I worked in schools, I would, I would run into these topics that were considered, you know, more uh, taboo or delicate from a parent's perspective. And often the rhetoric I would hear is like, they would have this mistaken belief that if they talked more about something that it would encourage certain behavior where this is very prominent is like suicidality or suicidal ideation, right? Like a lot of families believe like, if you don't like, okay, like the best thing to do is actually not talk about it. Cause if I actually confront that or can, or talk about that. And I saw this a lot with it, topics related to sex and consent. Uh, it's going to encourage more of this behavior that I'm maybe worried about. And I just, you know, I just want to like remind parents that that research doesn't support that, that actually the more you're, talking with adolescents about these topics and doing so in ways that are not shaming, um, but are affirming and encouraging safe practices and talking about joy and what that means and looks like, you know, the more able you are to equip your, your child with decision-making capacity that is mature and thoughtful and inclusive and reasoned. And, you know, that's right in the long game, like that's the goal. And I also just want to share. So that example you had, or the sort of like the, the sort of societal conditioning that young women can feel and, you know, not to be overly gendered, um, this, not to say that this can't be experienced by those that identify as male or non-binary, but it literally just happened to me the other day. Last week, I was in a conversation with a student. We were talking about, um, just healthy relationship, like healthy dating, you know, when you like, when you want to be intimate with someone, but you don't want to be in like a exclusive relationship, right. Which is, you know, a thing that happens in high school. And this was a, a young boy or a young man. And he was talking to me about this message he was receiving from a young woman. Uh, that was exactly what you said, this sort of self-consciousness around not wanting to be more sexual with him then he was comfortable. Uh, then, then she was comfortable and she was very sheepish about it. Very like, it took a lot for her to express that. And she had a lot of anxiety about his reaction. And to his credit, he was like, you don't owe me anything. Like that is not like, okay, cool. We can downshift upshift. Like you don't owe me anything. But I just, I think sometimes when we talk about these topics, it's easy for parents to disassociate and pretend that like, that isn't their kid, but this stuff is like, you know, happening right now all the time. Mm -hmm. When, when you're talking, I think about my mother who is an immigrant. I am an immigrant myself. Mm -hmm. And I think like there is not a chance in hell. My mom (laughs) would be able to have that thoughtful of a conversation with me, even if she wanted to, because of, you know, just, how she was raised, the cultural expectations around her gender and her role as a woman and the role sex has in her life, like her own even just understanding of her own sexuality and what the purpose of sex and pleasure 
is for my mom. You know what I mean? Like, just to be totally frank, like my mom and I, my parents and I have never had a talk about sex, right? I'm 47 this year. We have yet to talk about sex, not once. So, you know, I don't know if there's a question wrapped up in that, but I, I just wonder what you think about that when you when you have a parent who's coming from so far in terms of like capacity language to talk about sex, right? Because their own feelings about it are so um, undeveloped, uninvestigated. Mm. I think it depends on what you want to get out of this conversation. So as a 47 year old talking to, you know, a a mom, is it because you want actual advice from her or is it you want to bond with her? Because I think the (laughs) intention between a 16 year old and their parent is going to be more like, uh, you know, a behavior that they want to make sure they don't mess up on and they value their parents' advice. But maybe for the common denominator between those two pairs is that, um, there's anxiety. And I, I always tell parents that it is okay to show your human side to your child and say, Hey, I want to talk to you about something that I have never talked about before. And your grandparents never talked to me about, but it's important enough Mm -hmm. that I'm willing to brave through Mm -hmm. this conversation and have it because I want better for you than what I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And here it is, right? I don't have the right answers, but I want to work through it together with you. Or I've experienced trauma and I'm wanting to heal from it. And I think part of that healing means just starting to talk Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I don't want you to have that trauma and I want to prevent that from happening to you. Right. Um, and maybe it would help if I were to share what happened, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it is, but starting off by saying, this is very difficult, like yeah. be actual captain yeah. obvious and say it because I think our teenagers often forget too, that their parents are not only caregivers, they are actual human Humans. beings. <laughs> also trying to live in this very complex world. Totally. And that is a really yeah. connective um, piece that I think is miss, missing out, that is often um, left out of a lot of, you know, parent-child conversations. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said, you know, I don't have the answers. I think that's so true for so many different parenting scenarios. I think mm-hmm. parents and educators too, right? We feel like right. teachers, we feel like, you know, we stand up in front of the classroom, like, if I don't know the answer, I'm not going to be the expert anymore you know, these kids are gonna, aren't going to look to me as somebody that they can trust. And I think it's an important reminder that nobody really has all, nobody's going into any of these conversations knowing all the answers, right? Teachers and educators included, I don't always have the answers. And like being comfortable with that is really hard. Yeah, it's less about the answer and more about the bond that you're making mm-hmm. as a result of having the conversation. That's really the mm-hmm. key, is mm-hmm. that you're opening that door and saying, I am allowing this to happen in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want it to happen in our home and together we can heal or figure this out together. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, I think the key thing. Mm-hmm. So another question that we have along the lines of parenting is some of the common mistakes that you see parents making around, you know, sexual education, relationships, intimacy. What are some of the oh, things that and you've worked in schools for a long time. Um, and what are some of the things that you see kids coming to you with and being like, oh, my God, Justine, <laughs> can you believe this happened? Or like, my parents just said this to me. Or 
whatever, or a parent coming to you and being like, we just had this horrible conversation and yeah. it did not at all go the way that I planned it. Um, there's, uh, there's a few, I think the first one is, um, just the obvious, like shaming their kid, mm-hmm. um, for, for something, um, shaming their kid or what does that look like? It looks like, uh, walking in like. on their kid who's, you know, who's watching porn or they see it on the, you know, the, the search history and saying like, I'm taking away all your devices. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Or like you, I'm changing the Wi-Fi password and you're not gonna have any access anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. This whole like abstinence only approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're disconnecting now your relationship is lacking being in relation to one another. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it really defeats that purpose of being in relation with your child and connecting. Mm -hmm. Right. And saying, Hey, Hey, I saw that you were on Pornhub uh, through the search history. Oh my God, mom, why are you looking through my stuff? Like this is probably, you know, invasion of privacy, blah, blah. Hey, I, I'm not putting you in trouble. I'm just telling you, I saw this. And if you're going to be using devices that, you know, are shared in our household, it means that it becomes public. And I'm actually bringing this up because I want to make sure that you're safe. And I'm bringing this up because I care about your actual future sexual life. Like, oh, my God, this is so disgusting. It's like it's disgusting, which probably means you're probably not ready for this. And yet you're watching it. So there's enough of a curiosity here for us to be talking about something that I want to be fulfilling for you. And I don't think you're going to get it that way, but it looks like you have questions. Here are some books I'm just going to leave that I'm not going to even verify that you've opened or read, but it's there in case you ever want to open it up and actually ask questions and get answers that are accurate as opposed to you Googling it and then you now being freaked out by people's bodies, right? And so um, it's really not shaming them, but showing that you are there, you are um, supervising, you are there as a consultant. Um, and this is what your intention is in being on their team. Mm -hmm. Um, but the whole, like, I'm just removing and taking this away from you, or like now limiting the amount of time you can be on. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that now you're actually, you know, preventing it from happening just because you've banned it. It's just that when it now happens, you know, um, when you're not looking, it's probably even going to be more vigorous And deeper before, underground, right? Deeper, right? Yeah, right. it goes underground, even and probably higher, you know right. unsafe. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's a common kind of a, like response where you're emotionally reacting as opposed mm-hmm. to using like wise mind strategy of like, okay, hold on, let me get my bearings. Clearly, emotions are my compass, but I want to make sure that where I go and navigate this is in a way that's really constructive. Love, so love that, like that that pause. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying if you want to be effective, you got to take that pause. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's one. I think the other mistake, not so much with parents to their children, but parents in misunderstanding the work I do is they think that I am, as you were saying earlier, Meredith, like promoting sex. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm so sex positive that I want teenagers to start experiencing it early. Right. And so I think when they come up to see me, they're like, Hey, I'm a, I want to be a sex positive parent, but I also want them to, you know, abide by our cultural or religious values. Um, so like, how do I, you know, make what's the balance there? And I said, safety, affirmation, and joy is Mm -hmm. bipartisan. It is all religion. (laughs) It is all everything. It's super inclusive unless you're a legit bad parent who doesn't want your child to be safe, affirmed, or feel joy. 
So Mm -hmm. these three things have to do with friendships. It has to do with, you know, working with colleagues. It has to do with romantic relationships. It has to do with any type of relationship you're invested in. Right. So when we're talking about teens and maybe sexual, um, you know, experiences, the rules still apply where in order for them to have a healthy sexual relationship, they need to know how to be a good friend. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. means like, are you understanding and honoring and asserting boundaries? And that's something that we can teach as soon as this child is verbal. That's why sex ed belongs in pre-K environments. Are Mm -hmm. we teaching them about their body bubble and who has a right to enter that body bubble and how to assert yourself or tell a trusted adult if someone has, you know, entered your body bubble when you haven't allowed them to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're already telling such young kids to temper their intuition because Mm. in order to be a good girl, you go and hug, you know, your grandparents when you see them, even if you don't want to, in order to be a good boy, you'll, you know, eat, Um, exactly what I'm telling you to eat and finish your plate. Even if your body is telling you it's not something that you can anymore take. You want, right, right. Tell them all the time to actually not listen to their gut. Right. So when the stakes are now higher and they are in a sexually intimate relationship and their gut's telling them this doesn't feel right. I don't think this is safe. I don't feel affirmed by this person. And I don't think this is going to be joyous or it's not giving me pleasure. Well, that's just the way it is. If I want to be a good girl, if I want to be a good girlfriend, if I want them to like me back, like whatever it is, we've already socially socialized them into believing that we don't need to listen to their gut. Mm -hmm. And when they say no or stop, because when they were tickled as a toddler and they weren't listened to that, no one stopped mean Jack. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's the problem. Like we want our, you know, parents to understand that we're just teaching them to be good citizens so that when they become a sexual citizen, they're still applying the same tools that we've been teaching them on how to be a good person that knows how to cultivate healthy relationships and friendships. Right. 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 Healthy relating behavior. Oh, it's so critical, man. I wish I had that when I was younger. I was (laughs) not exactly my 12 years of Catholic school didn't exactly promote this style of sexual uh, education. You know, one thing you mentioned earlier that I'm curious about and particularly as it relates to the sort of like the digital world, which can be a dark and scary place sometimes, you know, what is sort of for parents who are maybe able to have these conversations in ways that um, are generative and affirming, but are still struggling to understand maybe the difference between kind of healthy exploration and risky behavior, um, where safety is perhaps more in question, but it may not be immediately obvious, you know, and what are maybe some, some things to either ask or things to kind of be on the lookout to sort of help folks understand the difference between, you know, kind of a healthy, appropriate exploration and something that maybe is, um, too far on, you know, one side of the bell curve and may, you know, because we know that, all you know, risky sexual behavior, for example, is, um, risky behavior in general or self, you know, that, that can be a form of, that can be a sign of something else sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about two main 
risks when it comes to behaviors in teens around sexuality. Um, one is like a dependence on um, doing something in order to feel connected. Um, and then the other is misconstruing respect or safety or trust or equality for actually power and control in mm -hmm. the relationship they're in. So going first with the first one, um, when it comes to like a dependence, let's say like, okay, I'm comfortable with my child watching porn. Um, you know, they're 16 years old, or it's going to be hard to regulate this. And I know that they're aware of safety, you know, affirmation and joy now and all of that. Um, but I'm concerned they're watching too much. Or I'm concerned now, like that this is all they think, you know, that, it, you know, what is too much versus what might be a quote, healthy amount. And before I like answer that, I don't want parents to think that I am um, saying it's okay for your child to watch porn, let them watch porn. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that is completely up to you when mm -hmm. it comes to uh, drinking, when it comes to porn, right? Mm -hmm. These things right. technically have um, an age restraint on it for a reason. Right. Um, and I do believe that those numbers are, are good. I also know that parents are going to make their own choices with the values that they have set forth with their, you know, families and their kid. So if you are in the position where you're wondering, like, is my kid watching too much porn or how much is too much, um, you know, really think about the, um, the compulsivity and whether mm -hmm. or not it's really infringing on their everyday tasks as a result of not doing something, right? And that, that applies for any type of like mental health imbalance mm -hmm. that's occurring. Mm -hmm. So it's just that right now the coping mechanism is, is porn. Mm -hmm. um, so really asking yourself like how how are, how's your child functioning when they're not doing that thing? And that thing could be anything, whether it be gaming, whether it be podcasts, like they're mm -hmm. listening to music, you know, sleep, um, right. Um, or porn, whatever it is, is it too much? Well, what's happening when they're not doing it? Um, and then that's where, you know, a professional should come in or the conversation first about like, Hey, all right, it's, it's too much because I see how you are when you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a problem and it's not sustainable. And then with the second example around power and control, um, I think a lot of, you know, especially young people who want to feel loved and wanted and a sense of belonging will make excuses for unhealthy relationships they're in because they actually see it as this person really loving them, really respecting them um, or really caring about their safety without seeing that they're actually trying to exercise power to control you. And so with a parent saying like, all right, this kid that they're dating or they've been hanging out with a lot or a friend just seems like really overbearing or really controlling. But my kid really believes it's just that they care a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, this is where you start talking about, you know, uh, what happens if you decide to say no to something they've asked? How do they react, right? Um, what would happen if you decided uh, that you were going to focus on on this instead of hang out with them, right? So I think just helping them to understand that what power and control is and what their interest might be in controlling, you know, your child, um, and then asking your child questions around, you know, um, 
are they setting healthy boundaries? Is this, is this a friendship or a relationship where they feel um, no guilt if they say no? Are they able to pursue their own passions and own goals? Are they able to take care of themselves in, in this relationship or is everything in service of the other person? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like you um, can't actually have an argument with this person without feeling like something is going to scare you, right? Mm-hmm. Are you on eggshells with this person? Because you'll get people that'll say like, why aren't you texting me back? I've been texting you, you know, all day. It's just because I want to make sure you're safe. Right. And so it sounds like this person cares about you, but in fact, they're trying to control you. I I told you, I don't like you hanging out with those people. They're not a good influence on you. It sounds like they're trying to protect you, but it also sounds like they're controlling you or they're jealous of your life outside of a one with them. Um, And so if you're, if you feel like your child's in that position, right, talking about basically about boundaries and the level of safety they actually feel to be their authentic self and how much independence they actually have in this relationship. Um, And I think that will guide them through some steps as to whether or not they are in a risky type of relationship or partaking in risky behavior or not. So clutch. And I think also like when we talk about safety, I know sometimes it can be easy to assume what we mean is physical safety. And of course that's like one spoke on that wheel, but we're talking about emotional, psychological safety in in kind of in all of its dimensions. Well, it's been amazing having you on this podcast. I know those of you listening can't see us, but Meredith and I have been continuously nodding our heads (laughs) through everything Justine's been saying, because so much of it, you know, we see it in schools, yeah. when you work with teenagers, like stuff is real, right? And kids are having sex and kids are being exposed to pornography and those conversations can't come soon enough. And hopefully we'll get Justine back again on our podcast to talk more about intimacy and relationships because we, we kind of touched on that stuff, but I, I feel like that's a big part of growing up, right? Is figuring out what what is a- Line start and stop, right? Like, right. like how do you- I mean, I've worked with so many, you know, Kathy and I, we've all, all three of us have worked in schools. When you work in schools, you're a mandated reporter. And, you know, in my roles, I've had to make a lot of mandated reports around related to, you know, sexual assault and different types and varieties. And it's like the stories, so many of them come down to this just discomfort with saying no, this, this, this lack of understanding and clarity about where, where, you know, is it okay for me to be uncomfortable? Is it okay for me to express that discomfort? You know, or one of the things I think Kathy, we need to talk about is sort of the intersection of this, of sexual behavior with other things, like, right. With substances at parties, you know, mm-hmm. things that, you know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. because I think that's, that's something that, you know, happens, happens all the time, and, like happens a lot. Yep. Um, but so important. Yeah. The like work you're so, doing, Justine, is, is so, amazing. It's cr- so it's critical. Awesome. So yeah, tell, tell really people wonderful. who, who want to find more of you, where, where can, where can people get more Justine in their lives? Uh, apparently Fox news, uh, but I'll give <laughs> some other recommendations. Um, JustineFonte.com. Uh, there's a lot of free content on there of um, episodes of other podcasts I've been on, um, of keynotes that were made public and are available for free watching. Um, and then uh, if you're on Instagram, uh, I'm Justine AF is my handle. It's also my Twitter. And then if you're interested in looking at my ghostwriting work um, to help you 
actually craft and script out the boundary you would send to someone and press send on, then it's also on Instagram. And uh, the account is at underscore good period buys underscore. So don't ghost, just get a ghost writer and you found one <laughs> through me. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So the last piece, though, my last very important question, because Meredith and I have had a tradition of talking about food <laughs> on this podcast, which we've kind of fell off on because we got very intense about the, our content. <laughs> but, you know, I know you love food. And so I was like, oh, Justine's a perfect guest to bring back some food conversation. Um, you live in, you're in New York City. And so tell us what is, if somebody, if we have a student who's coming to New York for some college tours or visiting on spring break, what is your foodie Ooh. recommendation? I know this is a hard one because there's lots of good food where you yes. are. Yeah, like what is the um, thing that you have to get? Well, I'm glad you said like a pre-college student because then I'm thinking about like how much they might be <laughs> able to afford or what they're allowed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to go to my cheap eats category and I'll say Levain Bakery for the cookies. Yes. Um, there's several locations now all over Manhattan and now even in Brooklyn. Yes, um, yes. But uh, it's an expensive cookie, but I, I hope you come to New York with at least $4.50 because <laughs> that is what the one cookie costs now, but um, it will cause you to um, uh, feel very disappointed with every other cookie you have after that. So <laughs> it really truly is the best cookie in the world. And don't go to like Safeway and get the one in the frozen aisle. It's nothing not, like it's not as good. the one right from the bakery. They definitely leave out some secret ingredient in the frozen, the new yes. frozen um, right, editions. Right. So well, if you are in New York, you can't not go to Levain Bakery. Well, you know, I'm a cookie monster. So when I come to New York, I always go to Levain and I always get a cookie and I try to like, it's a giant, enormous cookie, like the size of your head. Although I mm-hmm. feel like it's smaller than than it used to be like five years ago. I have to it be is. honest. It is, it right? Is. Yeah. But I used to like, just like eat it through my entire trip. I just like break off a little piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks good. like a scone, but it, it is a cookie and it weighs a lot. Yeah. Um, it is good. And, it is um, good. Yeah, they got they have five flavors now, um, but yeah, it's 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 good. That's that's where you should go if you visit New York. And what are you baking? Yeah. I know you're a baker too. What are you baking right now? Yeah, for so on Sunday I just baked um uh, two types of crostata. So these Italian tarts. Um, mm, I made one with halpia custard with some berries on top, and then I made um one with a passion fruit jelly with some blueberries on top. Yeah, tell the people what halpia is. Halpia, oh, sorry, is coconuts, um, is, is coconut. Uh, and the recipe comes from the Hawaiian local dish yeah. that is halpia dessert. <gasps> Yum. I need to, mm, I need to come stay with you, Justine, the next time I'm coming to New York. So. I invited you last time, but you stayed at some hotel, like a fancy say, person. I know, well, you know. What's wrong with you? Because, you know, I don't like to impose on people. I'm like, I'm no, like I'm inviting like, you. I know, girl. See, if boundaries. I'm inviting like, you. you know, I have you're to not understand. imposing. <laughs> I know. I got some personal. Sure. It's okay. Pay $350 a night. That's okay. It's fine. No, you know. next time I will come stay with you and there will yeah, be a Cristada. <laughs> I'm expecting a Cristada the next time I come to New York. <laughs> well, anyways, it was awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much for so taking great. time. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully have you back. Love to. Would love to. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Of course. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. If you like what you're hearing and you have friends with teenagers, please share it with one of them. You can check out this episode and others on our website, wespeakteen.com. And we want to know what you want to know. So if you have questions or hot topics that you want us to cover, email us at hello at wespeakteen.com.